In the summer of 2000, Celtic supporters were licking wounds after a fairly calamitous season under the stewardship of John Barnes and Kenny Dalgleish that saw the Hoops finish 21 points behind arch-rivals and SPL title winners Rangers. Leicester City manager Martin O'Neill travelled north of Hadrian's Wall and was appointed manager tasked with healing those wounds, which were also festering in the dressing room as quickly as he possibly could. You talk about inheriting a team, yes, they, they were definitely dispirited, there's no question about that. I remember Tommy Boyd once saying to me that he didn't feel that that even though that the gap was looked on paper very, very severe, he didn't think that they were, you know, that they were 21 points worse team than Rangers. That's all well and good. It's the fact is that you do end up finishing there, so you're only as good as your position. This was a Celtic team, apparently, in need of major surgery if they were to challenge for the league title. The absolute minimum expectation of the team by the club's demanding support. In the preceding season, they took a solitary point from a possible 12 against Rangers and from Halloween onwards managed to string three wins together only once. They'd been part of a failing squad, but players like Henrik Larsson, Paul Lambert and a young Stan Petrov had quality coming out their ears, but they needed a change in leadership, a sentiment shared by Slovak maverick Lubo Moravcik. Rangers been dominating during 10 years, except uh, one, one title. Celtic needs to change. It was uh, necessary to make something uh, different because the season with um, John Barnes started well, but in the middle of the season we had a little problem and uh, John finished. And uh, I think the directors brought a good coach like uh, Martin. And Martin made good uh, recruitment. Season started well. Uh, uh, Celtic been back, back uh, on the competition. Paul Lambert was the club's vice captain. I, I just had a feeling Martin O'Neill came that things were going to start to move for the club, I think, in the right direction. And, and the team was getting stronger. Physically, we were getting stronger. The, the way we played was getting stronger. The team was gathering momentum. However, O'Neill just needed a needle and a few sutures to get the club back on its feet while warning they shouldn't try to run before they could walk. Belgian defender Jos Harren and Chelsea striker Chris Sutton were quickly brought in for nearly £10 million combined, while Mark Viduka and Eil Berkovic were the two highest-profile departures. Although Vilharin and Sutton immediately improved the starting eleven, the most influential change in the dressing room that summer was the respect commanded by the new manager. His biggest thing is, I mean, he, he was quiet, but he's, he was very intelligent, a very intelligent man. Celtic fullback Jackie McNamara. When he came into our room, he listened. He could shut you down in, in a second if anybody would, would cross the line. Not that anybody did very often. He was quiet-ish, but he wasn't like a, approachable all the time. He, he'd kind of standoffish with the players. He didn't get too close to the players, you know, at, at certain times, and sort of commanded that respect. I remember watching a programme about, about Clough, and there was a lot of similarities with Martin had taken from working with Clough when he was younger. Celtic started the season well and won their first three games, all by a one-goal margin. Sutton's injury-time winner at Tannadice got the ball rolling before Motherwell and Kilmarnock were taken care of at Celtic Park. Hearts were then beaten at Tynecastle to make it four wins from four. Then it was Rangers at home. I think I might have said, I might have said maybe to my embarrassment, I thought that um, it's possible to win the league but not win any of the old firm games, now, which is the most important thing. Obviously, winning the league is the most important thing. But try telling that to Celtic fans that you go through a season that you think you've won the league and you can't beat Rangers along the way. 
The games are very, very important for every reason under the sun. You know, not only just points at three points that can go either way, but uh, psychologically for the well-being of one club and for the ill-being of, of the other club. Really, really important games. We've still not long gone through the Tommy Burns period where we are playing fantastic football but just couldn't beat Rangers. Brian Gilmore's been a season ticket holder at Celtic Park for 30 years. That, that was still in our minds that they were the, the superior team but you could you could start to sense that transformation and those senses were tingling with good reason but while there was cause for optimism under the new regime not many believed the turnaround would be such an explosive one including in the SPL boardroom if there's not uncertainty of result people kind of check out that may not be the case up in Scotland but we had sold our rights to a national broadcaster that was trying to take Scottish football into the UK market then SPL chief executive and Celtic fan Roger Mitchell was desperate for a home win for professional reasons, just as much as passionate ones. That's how you think of it. You need a close league if you're marketing a sports product. What I couldn't afford was the league been dead before the break or in, in, in March, which I think Rangers had done in the previous two years. That was that would have been a disaster for me. So um, I, I would have taken 3-0 or I'd have taken 5-0. For me, I think it was important Celtic won. And as I say, not as a Celtic fan, Four consecutive wins for both clubs set the game up perfectly. The sun was splitting the sky and rising quicker than estimated on Celtic's new dawn. Of that, there was no question. What still needed answering was, would it be a false one? It was only O'Neill's fifth competitive game in the Celtic Park dugout. We had some, some big moments, the opening game of the season, uh, where we uh, uh, beat Dundee United, got a late goal. Chris Sutton scored a late goal to win that 2-1. I think we'd beaten Hearts the previous week at, um, at Tynecastle, so that was a that was a boost in itself, you know, to go and win this game. So we're going in unbeaten. But having said that, that nothing and absolutely nothing prepares you for the the, the atmosphere for everything that uh, that I possibly could have imagined beforehand. It was absolutely incredible. Sun shining, early kickoff, crowds in. Rangers crowd behind the goal, the atmosphere, it was it was really electric. Jackie McNamara had been part of the Celtic team dominated by Rangers for two seasons and felt the gale force winds of change sweeping through Celtic Park in the week leading up to the game. But the new boss made sure they weren't blown off their feet. It was Martin's first old firm game. I think, you know, right away it brought a sense of in what sort of winning mentality and I think the fans could see that, you know, the, the excitement in the crowd and the build up to it but, um, but again Martin was very good at keeping us calm uh, you know and that was his his real strength in the dressing room before the game and uh, how he handles the players Lubo Moravchik arguably the most talented player in the league was starting his third season at the club and scored twice in a 5-1 win over Rangers in 1998 while his compatriot Dr Joseph Venglos was in charge Always Mr Venglos told me then if you're ready physically after I have never pro- you, you have never problem for the second part. It's football. And that I always said, you know, that atmosphere give you a lot of energy. You go on the pitch, say, ah, come on, and and you run there, there. The people, oh, come on, come on, boys. After, after, you have to be player. Secondly, you know, play first. Mentally strong, be fighting, guy. Fighting boy after footballer. And for football, I didn't have problem, you know. And the team been prepared like that. Come on, boys. 
we, we are ready physically and we know play football. His central midfield partner Paul Lambert concurs. When you look at their team that time, it physically matched Rangers and I think that was a big aspect. Even though we're physical, we were a right good side and I think that, that certainly helped us. So I don't think there was any inferior because I thought Martin had started to build a, a really strong side and we were playing really well. I think we started the season really well at that, that point. But I don't think anybody thought we'd have been 3 a up within 11 minutes. Quite. Celtic flew out the traps at Parkhead. There may not have been a cloud in the sky above the stadium, but a thunderous performance was swirling around the pitch below. The first clap came after just 51 seconds when Chris Sutton stroked the ball home following a few seconds of pinball in the Rangers' box. Maratip sends it in, and Stubbs and Larson are there, and it's turned in by Chris Sutton! The electricity was crackling around the stands and the voltage turned up even higher seven minutes later when Stan Petrov furiously met a Maravchik corner at the back post to head the ball across goal and into the bottom corner. Celtic seeking a second, Maravchik sends it in and they have a second! And it's Petrov who wasn't picked up and it gets better and better for Martin O'Neill and for Celtic. Three minutes afterwards, the currents at Parkhead could have powered the entire city when Paul Lambert rattled home a third. Maracic could be in. And they're queuing up here. It's another one for Paul Lambert. Three for Celtic. And in paradise, this is the stuff that Celtic dreams are made of. It was truly an inconceivable beginning to the game. And for us to get off to the type of start that we got off to was just um, mesmeric, really. We've scored three goals in the first, I think, the first 11 minutes. And uh, it's it's almost disbelief time. Uh, the, no- the noise that day was incredible. I mean, it was, it was all old firm games are like that. But when you're having that kind of moment where you're seeing a up in 11 minutes, it, it becomes tenfold. It was, it was just... We've still a long way to go in the match as well. You know, you're like, not like too carried away, but it was, uh, it was a great, great feel and great noise. That game, after 11 minutes, was sparkling. You know, like, you know, even thinking about it now, it still sends the shiver down the back. When that third goal goes in, there is a sense of electricity that all of us still feel. Brian Gilmore was watching on from the North Stand. Even thinking about it, talking to you just now, the massive grin in my face because it was just incredible. We had been suppressed by Rangers for so long. It's been rammed down our throat that this is there is this financially superior, uh, just just automatically superior football team across the city from us that are just so much better than us. We'll never be as good as them. Uh, and just everything about it is rammed down our throats for 15 years is then just released in those first 10, 15 minutes. Lubo Miravchik holds cult hero status at Celtic. His ability with both feet and artistry on the pitch sum up the craft fans want to see in their team and at 35 years old, the home support wouldn't have too much longer to enjoy it. Given a free roll in central midfield against Rangers, the Slovak delivered the corners that led to the first two goals before he latched onto a Bobby Petta through ball, Cruyff turned past Barry Ferguson and put the ball on a plate for Lambert arriving on the edge of the box. It's funny because when you hit shots, you tend to know they're going to go in. It's, it's a strange kind of thing. You know that when you've hit it, you think that that's going in. And that was the same with that, at that point where Lubo does a turn of the day 
on the byline and cuts it back and the way I had to, I had to cut across it because there's too many bodies in front of me so I had to kind of cut across it with my right foot to it not on the outside of my foot really and if I had to straight it was going to, I think it would have never blocked it or Stefan would have saved it but the way I've had it into that side and as soon as it kind of left my foot I just thought it's going to go in. I remember that game was really atmosphere, uh, full game, whole game was a crazy atmosphere because uh, many nice goals. Uh, I remember a goal where I gave final pass to Lambert. He scored a nice goal uh, to the to the corner. Uh, the last uh, final pass, it was my role. Scored the goal, it was my role. Corner, free kicks, uh, set up pieces. I think I, I was prepared for this game. Physically, mentally, uh, I was very happy. I had impact that in that game because I, I made uh, four final pass. What what passes? What is uh, for for a player like me? It's good result on, on the game. Good good statistic. It nearly didn't pan out as smoothly for Marafjic with O'Neill at the helm as a touch of myopia distorted the new manager's initial impression of the midfielder when he left Leicester for Celtic. It took a pre-season conversation for a mutual understanding to develop. We were out, I think, at pre-season. Pre-season was, was pretty tough for us, really, in some of the games. And uh, Henrik, of course, was with Sweden in the Euros and Luba was there and one particular game and it was hellish to tell you the truth we did not play well but anyway I had a bit of a, a tete-a-tete with, uh, with Lubo in the dressing room afterwards basically saying to him something like along the lines that you know uh, you'll not be much good to me if you can't run and I think Lubo just put the down, down the boots and had a little look up and, and he said well you just watch just have a little look and, uh, and see if you change your mind in the next couple of months and um, yeah, I changed my mind a lot more quickly than that. We had a discussion what role I can uh, have in, in this team. I told him, uh, listen, my, my best position is uh, uh, free behind two strikers or maybe second striker, but free, you know, a free position. Uh, I think he understood then uh, what can be my role in this team. And uh, I think I had good form because I started season well, I had good form and... Uh, he took this decision to make uh, the difference. You know, that was my foot, my football, make a difference. I still believe in my career, and I have played and worked with some phenomenal players, phenomenal players, European Cup players, European Cup winners and things like this here, that Moravcik is the best two-footed player that I have uh, that I've ever seen in the flesh. Wonderful ability, absolutely wonderful and can turn players. It would have been great to have had him at, uh, at 26 instead of 86 by the time I got him. Rangers just couldn't cope with the hurricane they'd stumbled out their safe govan haven into. It wasn't meant to be like this for them. Van Bronckhorst, McCann, Ferguson, Amoruso, Rickson, Dodds and the rest were turning to dust in front of their fans' eyes. Surely there must have been some tactical masterclass behind Celtic's rampant start. Right, Paul? We, we never really needed a lot of tactical stuff because we were good players and good team. So we, we just fitted in really well with you. If we played our, our game, we'd be, I think the team at that time was getting stronger and stronger every, every, every passing game. So when you look at our team that time, it physically matched Rangers at that time. It, and, and I think that was a big aspect. Even though we were physical, we were a very good side. And I think that, that certainly helped us. Oh. 
Surely there was more to it than that, Jackie. Just do our jobs. I think that was a simple plan. You know, do our jobs, and I think that's that's one thing that that Martin always instilled in his players. We all knew our jobs and what we were supposed to do, and make sure we got the best, we got the better of the the opposition there or the guy you're up against. That that was your the plan on the day. Make sure you win that battle. Bobby Petter was no youngster and seen by most in the Celtic support as a signing that represented the club's stagnation in recent years. Enter O'Neill and the shackles were off down the left side from the first whistle. Fernando Rickson had been one of those acting in a very superior fashion. Rangers players at the time gets hooked in that game after 22 minutes because he's just getting ripped apart by Bobby Petter, who had been this caricature of a dreadful signing. I mean, it was everything that people had caricatures about bad signings at Celtic was uh, encapsulated in Bobby Petter. And suddenly under Martin O'Neill, he is just ripping them apart. Martin turned round players. That was a game that like Bobby Petter, probably his best game for Celtic. He gave Fernando Rickson a hard time. Oh God rest him. Uh, and that match, and you know, Bobby, it was, I think Bobby still lives off that match. <laughs> and he wasn't the only one with a new lease of life under the new management team. I, I, I love Stillian. I think that um, my word, I know it'd be nice to have his good looks as well too. Um, but he was um, just a young lad coming into the side. And it's one of those where, without that sort of determination that he's had uh, always within his character, you know, he could easily have gone under at a, at a club like Celtic, so easily gone under, you know. So uh, it was great for him, but his ability on the field was, the, to me, was the most important thing. And he could deal with the ball, which was great. He could thrust forward with it against Rangers as well, too, for a, for a very, very young lad very new to everything again and uh, and uh, yeah I think that you, you could say that that goal was the, was the making of him Rangers did claw their way back into the game I don't think we'll ever truly know if Claudio Arena's header crossed the line as Johnny Gould smothered it down at his left hand post but Stuart Dougal and his refereeing team said it did Rod Wallace was then judged to have gone a fraction early before clipping the ball over Gould from quite a tight angle he was bang in line and so Celtic went in three-one ahead at the break. I think Martin was just, yeah, just as usual. You know, keep don't uh, don't let them in. Keep doing your jobs. You know, they'll come back at you, and you know, not to get complacent. Uh, and even though we're winning at half time, it's it's nil nil. We go out win the second half. The job's not done yet. I know that my conversation with the players would be along the, very much along the lines that this game is in the balance. We have had a magnificent start. We've scored some great goals. It has given us a massive boost of confidence. Go out and play. You know that you're capable of competing, if not beating this team. You're in a great, great position. But remember, this game is a long 45 minutes ahead. Next goal becomes very, very important. And wow, did they get the next goal. Larson. I mean, it was a fantastic goal by a fantastic player. Uh, we launched it off the field at the stage because it broke, and I think, I think Goldie actually spotted um, spotted a, a kind of a situation where maybe a, a three, a two v three or something like that. Anyway, I think there was a bit of a wrestling match with Sutton laying it down to him, and then after that, there it was just absolutely magnificent. Paul Lambert was watching from the dugout after being substituted with a groin injury. 
That's why he was the best, the best striker. He could make goals out of nothing. I mean, Bert, I think I think he not made Bert Conterman. He I mean, I don't think he knew what was what was going on. Obviously, not makes him, and, and then he, he does a chip. But Stephanie, he had no chance. He had absolutely no chance. I said before, any if anybody wanted in front of a goal at that, that time would have been Henry. His goal scoring record was phenomenal. Lubo Moravchik takes a slightly more psychological view of the moment rather than just salivate over the aesthetics. That goal was a good exam how do we've been on this game. Ready physically and uh, free in the in the mind, you know. And Henrik uh, show everybody uh, how we are ready, you know. Brian Gilmore had the perfect view as Larson raced through on goal. Everything about it is iconic and picturesque. It's not just that he chips close, it's the fact that it just skims underneath the bar and then rolls down the back of the net. The way the ball boys then turn and look at each other in disbelief and hug each other, just this, there's so much about that that is an iconic goal. It's up there with the, the sort of top, certainly the top three or four goals in my lifetime of, of Celtic goals. It was a huge moment for the team and the support, but also for SPL Chief Executive Roger Mitchell, who would hope to capitalise on Larson, launching himself into the UK spotlight. We had seen Henry, as I say, going back to the St Johnston game, and that season he had done well. Um, Barnes, he started well, then got the dreadful leg break. Um, nobody really knew who Henry Larson was yet, um, and that game was his kind of like coming out party. Uh, at, at least in the eyes of the general footballing public. Larson's goal looped in after 49 minutes and it was the perfect way to start the second half for O'Neill. It was as if when he went for the chip, it was as if, you know, 60,000 people just actually were silent for that second or two and then the next thing you know, it erupts. And uh, seeing it back, when you see the ball boys behind the goal making this phenomenal jump, you know, real, real Celtic fanatics and... Lads who are only maybe 12, 13, 14, uh, they're jumping in the air with delight and, uh, and a 4-1 lead at that stage into the second half. And the restoration of a three-goal cushion was enough momentarily to settle any second-half nerves among the support. At that point, you're starting to believe, right, this is it. It's, it's 4-1, we can go on and, and, and do this. Um, but you still had a few nerves because just shortly after they get a penalty. And it was buried by Billy Dodds. Back to 4-2 with more than half an hour to go. I wonder if Paul Lambert thought it was game on again with the reduced deficit? No, no, definitely no. We were, said we were strong. I know they scored and got back into it, but we got them where we wanted them. The team was strong. The atmosphere was, was incredible. It was just, I just didn't feel threatened. Instinct proved correct. Less than 10 minutes later, Larson found a few yards in the box and magnificently glanced home Petter's cross. Petter delivers. Larson's header! He's done it again! It's a double for Henrik Larson! It's number five for Celtic! It's arguably the most important goal of the eight that afternoon, according to O'Neill. Rangers got back into it again with a penalty kick and... And for a little while, you felt this game is still in the balance. Next goal becomes really important. Henrik scores it with a header uh, to make it 5-2. With Rangers kept at arm's length for a second time, 
The unanimous feeling around Celtic Park, away end included, seemed to be the points were only going one way. It was really um, when the fifth goal went in, when Lassell's header went in. From that point on, you felt that not only did our players really believe, you knew the supporters really believed, you also felt they didn't. That, that was the key. That was also the point when you knew that they didn't believe that they could do it. If you have two, three goals up, it's difficult for the team. Even it's very strong comeback on on the on the position. Those sentiments are shared by Lubo Moravcik. That game, I, I think we had uh, under control all the time because if Rangers score, we score. You know that that was psychologically very important. Rangers been thinking we are back. No, you are not back. We are again uh, score. That was very hard for Rangers to to be back on this game. Barry Ferguson was given his marching orders for realising the only way he could stop a Celtic breakaway was with his hand and Rangers just wanted the final whistle. It didn't come quickly enough for them though with Chris Sutton adding a sixth and his second in injury time on his old firm debut. Petter now has released Stefan Nahi. Have Celtic got another one left in them? Sutton is there! Yes they have! Sutton scores! It's six of the best! I'm reliving it now. I think the first time that I breathed a sigh of relief was when uh, when Sutton scored the sixth goal. And I look and I think there's about two minutes left in the game. And I think, yeah. And Chris became an incredibly important uh, member of the side, again, in every aspect, both in the dressing room, what he did in the field. And as you say, that bit of swagger, that bit of arrogance carrying through. And obviously a great uh, a great player to play with. And I think Henrik Larsson appreciated that as well too for us. So it became very, very important. It was just absolutely amazing. Brian Gilmore couldn't quite believe what he was seeing from the North Stand. It's one of those things that's absolutely brilliant in life is to score a goal in a game that you're winning in the 90th minute. Because it's just so satisfying. Because, because you can just enjoy and celebrate that 90th minute goal better than any other goal in the game because you absolutely know that that you've won the game. It wasn't just that we'd won. It wasn't just that we'd won uh, and beaten Rangers. It was the fact that we'd humiliated them. So Celtic's winning start to the season continued while ending Rangers at the same time. And the players didn't look back. Did the margin of victory that day set the tone for the treble winning campaign? Without a doubt, yeah. That, that. As I say, we started the season well that, that year and then um, that game just became a juggernaut really and then it just went from there and got stronger and stronger and then it just went from there. It, that was like unstoppable, That just the way the atmosphere was and the actual way the game was itself. That game came very early in the season. A 6-2 made a big difference and, and uh, even Rangers start to be uh, careful of Celtic is back. Strong team, 6-2. Mentally, it's, uh, we took advantage. It definitely helped you. Yeah, it helped the confidence, I think, and obviously belief between the players and, and the supporters that there was a change that happened really quickly. A real change in mentality and belief in the club was incredible. Uh, you know, getting to the FA Cup finals, and for me, that was the start of it. That belief in that the players could get from that, but also the fans that we could go and beat anybody. It was a perfect outcome for Celtic, but also for the SPL itself and their quest to market the league throughout the UK. I had achieved what I wanted to achieve on that first day. We knew it wasn't going to be a runaway Rangers league. That was a tick for me. Afterwards, 
Celtic go on to win it, Rangers go on to win it. It's close, it's not close. It's all relative. What I didn't want was another three-in-a-row Rangers runaway league. That would have been difficult to market. Fourth-place Rangers did thump Celtic 5-1 in the next old firm fixture, but with the disparity between the two already at 15 points by that stage, it didn't matter too much. In November time, we did go to we did go to Rangers. They beat us 5-1 in the game, and then a couple of nights later, I know this, I remember this distinctly, we went to Hibs and we drew nil-nil at Easter Road. So suddenly we had dropped we dropped five points in two games when we were looking looking reasonably comfortable. And by that stage, I felt as if there was a, a steadfastness about the team that you know that okay, those points are dropped. That, that that's 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 not the end of the world. And and it wasn't to take away at all from our, our magnificent victory in August time. So just buckle down, get on with it. And that's what we did. And we didn't lose another game, I don't think, until we had won the league when it didn't matter and we were actually preparing for the um, for the Scottish Cup final. Which Celtic won against Hibs 3-0, the same scoreline as the CIS Cup final against Kilmarnock, and all three trophies were secured in Martin O'Neill's first season at the club. The first treble since season 68-69, the seeds of which were planted on August 27th, 2000. Celtic 6, Rangers 2. This documentary was compiled, written and produced by Andy Barge. Martin O'Neill was interviewed by Alison McConnell. The commentary is by Ian Crocker for Sky Sports. This was a NewsQuest production for the Celtic Way.